You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, and we're going to be answering the question, does God's activity arouse our curiosity? But before we take a look at that, I wanted to share just a couple quick things with you. If you haven't had the opportunity to stop by our website yet, it's desirejesus.com. And at our website right now, we have the 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 7, available for free download. It'll be up there for just a little bit longer, and we'd encourage you to grab a copy while it's available. We also have a bunch of other resources there. We have our bookstore. We have our blog. Uh, And by the way, on our blog, you could find transcripts of each of the messages that we share here as part of the podcast. So if that would be something that you would enjoy reading or sharing with others, by all means, take advantage of that information. It's free, it's available on the website, and we're happy to share it with you. Now, as I mentioned at the start of our program today, today we're talking about this idea of God's activity arousing our curiosity. And I think generally speaking, we tend to be curious people. I know when I was a child, curiosity seemed to be what got me in trouble quite a bit. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, curiosity is also uh, a tool, I guess you could say, or a facet of our personality that at times can be uh, something that is useful when it comes to learning new things or being inquisitive toward things. And that's a kind of concept that I'm speaking of here today when I talk about God's activity arousing our curiosity. It's the idea of looking into what God is up to. And the scripture that we're looking at today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, so it's not a very long portion of scripture, but let me read it for us as we begin. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight into it. And we pray, Lord, that always that you would be pointing our hearts toward your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How good is your memory? Sometimes my family teases me because of the random information or dates that tend to stick in my mind. So I do try to use that information against them when we're playing Jeopardy. But does it ever amaze you to consider the depth of the information God is capable of retaining? He knows every detail about everything that has ever happened. And in addition to that, he knows every detail about everything that ever will happen in the future. It's impossible for me to wrap my mind around that. At the same time, 
He's been gradually working out the details of his plan to bring his gift of salvation to all who will trust in his Son, Jesus Christ. He has the seasons under his control, he does everything he does on purpose, and he's working all things together for good for those who love him. At present, he knows every single detail about your life. He knows the exact number of breaths you'll take on this earth. He knows how many molecules are in your body. He knows the people you'll be meeting, the trials you'll be enduring, the joy you'll be experiencing, and the ways in which he will make great use of your life. Nothing escapes his sight. And he's up to all this and more right now. Does his activity arouse our curiosity? Do we want to know more about what he's doing? Are we interested in looking into what he plans to do next? Scripture tells us about people who were intensely curious about what God is doing. What do you suppose you might want us to learn from their example and from their experience? Well, one of the things that I think that he invites us to learn is this, that it's our privilege to be able to search the Scriptures. Look again at verse 10 of 1 Peter 1. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. When I was 15 years old, I had one big request for my family that Christmas. I wanted a study Bible, and if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a Bible that has detailed notes in the margins that help explain what the scriptures on that page are talking about. My mother asked our pastor which Bible he recommended, and she bought me the one that he suggested. And I can remember that from that point on, I spent a lot of time in that particular copy of the Scriptures, reading through the pages, thinking through the notes, and making some notes of my own in the margins. A couple of years ago, I watched a video of believers in China who received a shipment of copies of the Bible. And as I watched it, I was amazed at how overjoyed they were as they opened up the boxes and were able to see those Bibles up close and hold them in their hands. And the video honestly brought tears to my eyes. This past summer, really just about a month ago, I was teaching a group of people, and I asked them this question. When was the last time, other than at a worship service, that you took even a brief moment to open a Bible and read it? When I asked that question, the room went silent, And the specific person who chose to answer said that she couldn't remember when it had been because it had been so long. I bring that all up, not to pile mounds of guilt on our hearts and not to shame us, but to remind us of the blessing we've been given that many believers in the history of this world have not had the privilege to experience. We have the privilege to search God's Word. We could pick up physical copies of it or read it in digital form. We have access to it wherever we go. During the Old Testament era, the prophets that lived prior to Christ's advent longed to look into what the Scriptures revealed about what God was about to do. And it's fascinating to consider when we look at the Scriptures, when we look at the Bible in its totality, just how much of the Bible is prophecy. 
According to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, there are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament and 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a total of 1,817. These prophecies are contained in 8,352 of the Bible's verses. Now, since there are 31,124 verses in the Bible, the 8,352 verses that contain prophecy constitute 26.8% of the Bible's volume. It's fascinating to realize just how much of the Scripture is prophecy. God's plan of salvation is so clearly outlined in Scripture that it's easy for us to assume that everyone has understood the same details about it that we have for the majority of human history. But the truth is, even the prophets that the Lord was gradually revealing these details through, they had lots of questions. There was so much more they wanted to know. They looked carefully into what the Lord had revealed to them, seeking the answers. Now, if you'd like to make studying the Scriptures more of a regular aspect of your life, let me share several suggestions that I think are helpful. They're things that are helpful for me, and they're things that I hope will be helpful to you as well. It's actually a list of eight suggestions that I have for you. And the first one is this. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you understanding into what you're reading. Number two is this. Don't be intimidated. The Bible is not impossible to understand, nor does it have to be learned in a single day. The third is this. Buy a copy of the ESV Study Bible. It's one of the best. It's got great notes that are extremely helpful. The fourth suggestion I have is this. Read these books first to get a handle on some of the main history and theology of the Bible. The Gospel of John, the Book of Genesis, the Book of Romans, and then the Book of Ephesians. The fifth suggestion is this. In general, when you're reading the Bible, pick one book of the Bible at a time and then read it from beginning to end instead of jumping around into the middle of books without reading them from the beginning. The sixth suggestion is this. Understand how the Bible is organized by section. The books of the Bible are organized by type, and when you start from the, the Old Testament and go straight through to the New Testament, these are the main categories or, or the main sections of uh, the Scriptures. And by the way, I'll have this listed on uh, the website, desirejesus.com. When you look at the transcript of this message, you'll see this listed there. But it goes, Law, Israel's History, Poetry, Prophecy, then the Gospels, then Church History, then Paul's letters, then general letters, and then the book of Revelation, which is an additional book of prophecy right at the end of the Bible. The seventh suggestion I have for you is this. Start setting aside a small portion of the day, as brief as five minutes, to read the Scriptures. And the eighth suggestion is this. Look for opportunities to talk about the Scriptures with others who read them. When you do that, what ends up happening is the things that you don't understand become more clear, and the things that you've read start to stick in your mind a little bit deeper. But it's our privilege to be able to search the Scriptures, and the Scripture we're looking at today truly illustrates that. Something else that I think the Scripture points out is this. The Scriptures point our hearts 
toward Jesus. Look again at verse 11 of 1 Peter 1. It says this, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Our hearts long for what we've lost. When we look back through the Scriptures, we can see that originally mankind was created to have perfect fellowship and perfect friendship with the Lord. We lived in a perfect environment and enjoyed God's perfect leadership and protection. Sin wasn't part of mankind's early experience. It didn't mar our conversations or damage our relationships. We lived with perfect safety, perfect trust, and perfect relationships. And that all changed the moment Adam rebelled against the Lord, and we've been struggling with the after-effects ever since. We sin. We rebel, we fear, we worry, we crave the perfection we've lost. We long for perfect leadership and perfect healing of all that we've damaged. During the Old Testament era, the Lord revealed that he was sending the Messiah who would restore what had been broken by sin. The Messiah would lead and all the nations would eventually come to him. For generations, God's people looked forward to the coming of this promised Messiah. They dreamed of the day when he would rule and reign with all righteousness. In their optimism, many were forgetting about something else the scriptures made clear. Before the Messiah reigned in glory, he would suffer first. He would take the sin of humanity that had broken our relationships with the Lord and each other upon himself. The Messiah would be tortured and die before he would rise and reign. Even though many people weren't necessarily focused on this, we're told that the prophets longed to understand what the Spirit of Christ was telling them. Long before he came, he revealed to the prophets that he was coming and that he was going to do all these things. They wrote down and openly shared the things he was telling them, but they didn't fully understand everything he had been supernaturally revealing to them. Jesus even speaks of this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, and he says this, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isn't it amazing to realize that the very things these prophets long to understand are the very things that we can clearly explain because now we live on the other side of their fulfillment? They looked forward to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with anticipation. We look back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with gratefulness. And we look forward to his promised return with joyful and confident hope. As we dwell on this hope and as we find encouragement in it, we have the privilege of coming right back to the teaching of God's Word. It becomes clear that the key to understanding it is to realize that wherever we are in it, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, the entire thing is seeking to point our hearts toward Jesus. We find types, symbols, shadows, and other things that point us to Jesus throughout the Scriptures. And as the Word of God is actively pointing our hearts to Christ, so too should our lives be of use to Him to point others to Him as well. Something else that's brought out in this portion of 1 Peter chapter 1 is this. 
that we should rejoice in our opportunities to serve someone else. Look at what it says in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. For several days this past week, I attended a ministry leadership conference at the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference in Northeast Pennsylvania. And different speakers freely volunteered their time to speak on several subjects that were intended to be helpful to the pastors and other leaders that were there. And as we were finishing up and getting ready to leave on Thursday, it became clear to some of us that the camp director and his wife didn't have the kind of help they would normally have from staff. It was a midweek retreat. The camp is not a large uh, conference center. Most of the staff they have that serve on weekends when most of their retreats are are teenagers, but those teenagers are all in school right now, and here we were during the midweek, and they didn't have any staff to help clean up. So it was going to fall on the director and his wife to clean the dining hall, the meeting room that we used, and then every cabin and restroom that the group had used by themselves. They were going to have to do that without any help. When we realized that, several of us decided to stay and to help them with these tasks. And we also called some people that we knew who lived in the area and asked them if they would also come and join us as well. And I have to say, our hearts were warmed through this opportunity to serve. It was a privilege. We enjoyed it. We were grateful for the opportunity to do this. And it was something that the Lord impressed upon our hearts that needed to be done. When it came to the prophets who were being led by the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to them that even though they strongly desired to understand the details of what they were being told, the information that was being given to them was for the benefit of others. In writing things down that they didn't fully understand, they were serving those who would come after them. People would come to faith in Jesus through the testimony that poured forth from the pens of these prophets. You and I are the beneficiaries of their service. And amazingly, just as the prophets long to look into these things, so too do the angels. Does it surprise you to think that angels marvel at what God is doing in your life? They're amazed at the sight of someone who once lived in the darkness of sin and rebellion, coming to faith in Jesus as the Holy Spirit opens that person's eyes and reveals to them their need for the Savior. But even though they have great curiosity about what the Lord is doing, The angels are still content to serve the Lord and serve you as they watch God unfold his plan. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, speaking of the angels, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The prophet served us. The angels serve us. Jesus has and is serving us. He invites us to adopt the attitude of a servant as well as an outpouring of our faith in him. I want to finish up by reading something that John Stott wrote years ago, and it's basically some thoughts he had on maintaining a servant's attitude, even when it's difficult. He says this, People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered love them anyway. 
If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help them anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll be kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your presence with us today. Lord, we know that we don't deserve the blessings that you've granted us. We don't deserve to have been served by the prophets or by the angels or by you. But Lord, you served us anyway, and you invite us to be men and women who mimic your heart of service, who copy what we see in you, and joyfully serve others for your glory, that they may come to know you as we have. Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for the fact that we have the privilege to walk with you in every context of life. And Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in the manner in which we live, that many would come to know you through the testimony of your servants. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we have a free devotional available for you right now on the website, desirejesus.com. You can download Desire Jesus Volume 7, which is a 30-day devotional, and it's available right now for free on the website. You can also utilize a transcript of the teaching we just shared with you today. It'll be in the blog section of the website. Uh, Check it out. It'll be there most likely by the time you listen to this episode, and if not, it'll be there shortly afterward. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.